Bismillah, alhamdulillah, you're listening to Islam Tomorrow. That's I-S-L-A-M-T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-dot-net. You can visit us on the internet at our website and listen to a broadcast of this and other programs. The title of the program we're doing today here in Iowa City, Iowa, which happens to be broadcast almost live, is Just the Sunnah. We're going to be talking about something called Sunnah, what is it, and the value of it in Islam. Before we get started, I'd like to just begin with the name of Allah and say Bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. My name is Yusuf Estes, and I'm the National Chaplain for the World Assembly Muslim Youth and the Delegate to the United Nations World Peace Summit for Religious Leaders. And all of that won't fit on a business card, so they just call me Sheikh Yusuf for short. Alhamdulillah. What we're going to be talking about is uh, a word in Arabic called Sunnah. So we're going to start out by defining what that actually means so that we'll have a better startup and try to follow through with some plain English on this subject. And the Sunnah carries different meanings in the religion of Islam, but the word itself merely means the way that something is done on a regular basis. This is the meaning of it. So that everything has a sunnah or the way that it is done. The way that the earth goes around the sun is a sunnah. And the way that the moon goes around the earth is the sunnah of the moon. And the way that Allah does things is the sunnah of Allah. So it's really just meaning the way something is done on a regular basis. But when we look to the religion or the belief in Islam, that what Muslims do, it does carry different meanings. Okay? And so it's important to break that down so we have a better understanding. When you hear someone say, well, that's just a sunnah, Usually this is an ignorant person who really doesn't have a lot of depth of understanding of what they're talking about in Islam. It doesn't mean they're bad, it just means they don't have knowledge on this subject. Because we would never say in that kind of a phrase that's just the Sunnah. Because keep in mind what we just said, it means the way something's done. We wouldn't say, well that's just the way it goes. When somebody falls out a window or something like that, you would try to warn them, you would tell them don't get close to the window, you would, you know what I'm saying? And uh, just as gravity is a sunnah, sort of, you know, to say that something always falls down if you throw it out the window, right? Still, you don't just do things like that. So let's look at uh, this aspect of it. That when we consider what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Quran, this carries a heavy weight in Islam, very heavy weight in Islam. It's like the epitome of everything in Islam. We're going to look to the Quran. But yet, there is more to the Quran. There is something like it that the Prophet said, Allah sent me with the Quran and something like it. And the something like it is called his sunnah, his way, what he did, what he taught, what he approved of. So, that which I just said, in other words, what he taught, what he commanded us to do, what he forbid us from doing, how he taught us to understand the Quran, the things that he approved of, disapproved of, 
and so on, all of this is considered his way or his sunnah. So that's how we understand that. But when people collect records of what he said, called hadith, each record is called a hadith, and when they collect them, and they're referring to the Prophet ﷺ, very often they refer to this as the sunnah. So the meaning that the records that they're talking about is sunnah, meaning compared to what? Hadith. So we have, I mean, the hadith compared to Quran. Quran is one thing, and then his way, another, this being the sunnah, that sometimes people call the hadith sunnah themselves. What do you find in the sunnah? I mean, what do you find in the hadith? So sometimes when the hadith scholars refer to sunnah, they're actually talking about books, they're actually talking about records or particular individual hadith. Instead of the actual thing that the Prophet did, they're talking about books or what's recorded. The reason I'm trying to make this distinction and what's important about it is that some of the records that we have, recordings, are not verified, meaning that these are weaker in position due to the fact that we cannot say 100% he said exactly these words. So in this case, that would be considered a weaker position, or what they call da'if, whereas some other record or hadith may be absolutely positively without doubt it's right up there in the, in the order of after Quran the highest level of authority in Islam because we have so many people that heard him say it reliable witnesses who passed this to reliable witnesses recorded in the books we know he said it so these are authentic or what they say sahih perfect hadith so in this case, somebody might refer to them and say the good sunnah, okay, or the verified sunnah, as opposed to the weak sunnah. Well, it's not correct if you're thinking about it in terms of something being good in sunnah, not in something else, not important in sunnah. You follow that? And I'm going to try to give some examples now so that we get a better picture, inshallah. God willing. So... Suppose that somebody said, well, that's just a hadith. Okay, now we've got a new problem. Now, because if he said that this is in the Quran, obviously Allah said it, we have to do that. But if somebody said it's just a hadith, that's not good. Why? We're going to look to the Quran and understand it from there. Because as Muslims, we're always going to say that we take the Quran regardless. We don't always understand everything, but... We know it really came from Allah. We don't need to ask Allah uh, to make us of those who have the level of understanding of a genius. But we do ask Allah to make us of those that follow what we learn. Okay, so we look to the Quran and trust what Allah tells us and go from there. And Allah does tell us in the Quran as regards this following of Muhammad. So I saw He says, "Audhu billahi Say, and he's telling Muhammad, say to the people, because they say to him, we love Allah. He says, say, if you truly love Allah, then follow me. 
then Allah will love you and he will forgive your sins. He is the forgiver, the merciful, the forerunner. So we understand immediately from this that there has to be following of Muhammad, peace be upon him, if there's going to be love for Allah. If there's going to be love for Allah, there must be following of Muhammad. Now it makes some big sense to us what we say in our Shahada. When we do the declaration of faith in Islam, we say, Asharu and la ilaha illallah. I bear witness there's none to worship except Allah. La sharik Allah. He has no partners. Wa ashadu. And I bear witness on a Muhammadin abduhu rasul. That Muhammad is his messenger and his servant. So, that statement of saying you believe in Allah is very important. But the second part is also important because this verifies the sunnah. This verifies the fact that you are going to follow through with this statement of how you believe in Allah by showing love for Allah, by following the one that he sent to teach you how to get to Allah. You do not come to Allah except through his book, his Quran, and his Prophet Wasallam. If he makes this known to you, it becomes wajib. It's uh, compulsory on you. And I'm mentioning this because in our Aqidah, in our belief, we know that Islam can come for all places and all times and all people. So we're, we're not going to get into that area right now, but we are saying that suppose somebody didn't know what's Quran and they didn't know the Sunnah, but they believed in Allah, did their best. Okay, they, that's between them and Allah. And this is not our issue. What we're trying to discuss here now is for the benefit of those who do know there is something called Quran and those who do know there's something called Sunnah or the Prophet Sassam's way, then they become responsible for that. And you can't say that I believe in Allah and I want to follow everything He wants me to do, but I just don't want to do the Sunnah because this means you're not accepting what He just told you. If you really love Allah, then follow His beloved Prophet وسلم, and then Allah will love you. And that's the condition. It's clearly spelled out right here. There's no, there's no ambiguity about this in the Quran. It's very, very clear. Okay. Is there anything else in the Quran telling us that we need to pay any attention to the Prophet Sallallahu Any other verses commanding us to listen to the Prophet Sallallahu or follow him or obey him? Atay Allah or Rasulahi. Obey Allah and his messenger. And in some cases, you'll find it even stronger instead of and, it says, obey Allah and obey the Rasul. Very clear. And in one case, in Quran, it actually says, obey the Rasul, and it doesn't mention even saying, obey Allah. So this is absolutely a part of Islam, to give obedience, and to give pledge, and to give following to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him. It's also in the Sunnah of the Rasul, or his way, what he taught us, that in fact, you don't, you don't really become a believer until you love Allah and His Messenger more than anything else that Allah created. This is a level of belief. It's very important. Because Allah created all that we live in as a test. Only as a test. To see if we worship Him, and then He decides what's worship, not us. He tells us what worship is. What is worship? Can I make it up? Can I tell you what worship is? Only if I'm the one going to be worshipped. Worship 
means to do what? To give devotion to, commitment to, to follow something, to to love it very, very much. It's a very powerful thing here we're talking about. And the only one that has the right to dictate what it is is the recipient. Just like if you owe something to someone, it's up to them to tell you how they want it. Some, you owe somebody money, you're going to borrow money. He says, here's how I want you to pay me back. You pay me like this, you pay me in this form. Don't come to me with rupees from, from India or from uh, uh, Pakistan. Don't come to me with the corona from Sweden. I want American dollars. And don't come to me on Monday. I want my money this coming Friday. See, he's telling you, you're going to take this, you're going to pay me back my way. This is, this is a very simple understanding. But the one who it's due to is the one who dictates the terms. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is due all worship. How do we know that? What he told us in the Quran, What's the meaning? Basically, in English, he's saying that he only created us for one purpose, and that purpose is to worship him alone without any partners. So, here we see it again, and the word is ibadah, by the way. So, we can't obey Allah completely unless we do all that he says. And he's telling us, obey his messenger as well. And in fact, we mentioned already that the Prophet told us that he'd been sent with the Quran and something like it. We mentioned this in a number of programs. What is something like it? Well, it's his way or his sunnah. Additionally, the Quran itself cannot be understood by itself, by a person, without having explanation. And that explanation does not come through dreams. It doesn't come through telegrams. But rather it comes through Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So he explains to us what's the Quran and what's the meaning. And you won't know what he said if you don't have the records or the hadith, right? Make sense? Okay. So it happened, and I'll give you a little example of how important the Sunnah is in this case. It happened one time during the Khalifa of uh, Omar, radiallahu anhu, the second leader in Islam, Omar, that he was having a circle, or like when people sit together, a gathering, and some of the elders were complaining. There was a young, young boy there, a young man, and they felt like it should be, this is a gathering of elders. Well, that's really not the way in Islam. But this, whoever was complaining was, you know, pointing out a certain individual. Uh, Ibn Abbas was young at that time. And, uh, by the way, those of you know, he became a, one of the biggest scholars of Islam. One of the number one top scholars of Islam in the history of Islam. So, but at that time, they were complaining about him even being there, their elders, and so on. And Omar, just asked them all a question. He said, who will explain to me the meaning of a surah in the Qur'an? And he read the surah to them. A'udhu billahi minashaytanirajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Idhja nasrullahi walfat 
ورأيت الناس يرخلون في دين الله يفواجا فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفروا إنه كان توابا Then he asked him, what's that mean? What is it? Can you tell me? And so what they did is what I'm going to do right now and, and try to give some meaning to the words that were said. The meaning more or less says, when the help of Allah comes and the victory or the opening and you see the people entering into the religion of Allah in big numbers, then him the praises of your Lord and turn to him in repentance. Now that's a plus or minus translation of words. And each of those companions there, those people sitting with Omar, uh, said basically the same thing. Similar, of course, in Arabic language. When they were done, then he turned to Ibn Abbas and he asked him to tell us what Allah meant by revealing this sort. What did Allah mean? What does it signify? Ibn Abbas said it was to signify the death of Muhammad Then Omar said I know nothing other than what he just said. Now, this is clear evidence from two of the top people in Islam as far as being close to the Prophet Islam, as far as understanding Islam, as far as studying Islam, if you will use that word, under the Prophet Islam, confirming exactly the meaning and the words are not there in the text, the matin of this uh, uh, surah. It's not there. The word death is not there. The word prophet is not there. Impending death of the prophet is not there. How in the world can you get that meaning? It means the prophet, sallallahu had to tell him that. And obviously it means that we cannot give meaning to the Quran unless we know in each case did the prophet, sallallahu say anything else about this. This means study, doesn't it? But somebody has taken the effort to already do all of that. A number, huge number of scholars throughout history have done that. And they've recorded what he, peace be upon him, Muhammad Islam, said. And what he taught about this Quran. So much so that Imam Malik, the second of the great Imams that we refer to in the Masahab Islam, he said that if anybody tries to make exegesis of the Qur'an or what we call tatwil or tafsir explanation of Qur'an just from his own mind this is an act of kufr this is disbelief so and this is particularly interesting when you consider that 1400 years later and here in the United States we have so many people who think they can do that <laughs> from the English translation <laughs> which is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. But we find people doing that. And I've heard some quasi-scholars, if I can use this word, neo-scholars, almost scholars, coming up with these explanations by taking an English translation by Yusuf Ali, 
and then begin to tell us what Allah means in the Quran. If they get anything right at all, it would be a surprise, wouldn't it? How could they do it? So this is definitely showing a need for the Sunnah. The Sunnah explains the Quran. Now that's without doubt. Quran is explained through the teaching of Muhammad. And this makes sense. This makes clear sense, and it's not something that seems like strange, or I need to have some kind of big clarification of this, and, you know, I don't know where you get that from. It's very, very simple. Let's do a logical understanding from the point of view of a little kid. Just, just be a little kid in your mind for a minute and think. How did the Quran come? Did it come through email? Was it something on the Internet? Of course not. Did it float down from heaven in pieces of paper and they ran out and grabbed it up off the desert floor? Is that how they got it? No. It came bits and pieces over a 23-year period only through one source. There's not two sources for the Quran, by the way, or three or four. And I'm going to compare this to something. I'm going to digress just for a moment to show you something. If any of you have known anything about the Bible in the English language, this is an example of what happens when you don't have just one source. Okay? The Old Testament or the Torah of the Bible, according to the scholars of the Bible, actually has a number of reporters who report different things, which later was assembled by Ezra, who's there, during the Babylonian exile where he compiled the teachings of five or six different mathahab or schools of understanding, even different akidah, different beliefs from those who were the Bani Israel that had been taken away to Iraq. They were in captivity and they hadn't any written documentation or they'd lost the Ark of the Covenant. All they had was old scholars or old people, really, who were reciting what they remembered. And so when it wasn't, didn't match, he would record both of the stories. You look to the Torah, the Old Testament, you will find two different stories of creation, two different stories of Noah, and they don't match. One of the stories of Noah tells you that he took all the animals two by two, by pairs. But the other one tells you he takes seven of the clean animals and two of the unclean animals or, you know, different numbers of different kinds of animals. And so it's not the same story. But these were different stories. There was a geographical place at that time called Judah, another place called Benjamin or Benjamin, and another place called Israel. And that was, these were physical places and others. And from these geographical locations, these tribes actually had a little different understandings of what was the Bible. So when he compiled all of it, he put it all together. So you have different sources, is my point now. Let's move to the New Testament and see if that's the same case. Well, if you have only one source, and that's it, then it should be the good news or gospel. Gospel is good news, or Bashir, which is the good news that came to them from, from Allah through Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him. But instead, you find immediately the gospel or the good news according to Matthew. And then immediately after that, you have the 
better the good news according to Mark. Oh, by the way, another name is Injil, the Injil. Now, now that's interesting because I've actually found some of the testaments that say the Evangel, from the same word, the Evangel of Matthew, the Evangel of Mark, the Evangel of Luke, and the Evangel of John. You've got four different accountings, four different sources to tell you the story. Immediately after that, you've got something called the Acts of the Apostles. Then after that, you've got the book of Hebrews, talking about the Hebrew or the Jewish opinion of what's going on with this. Then you've got the book of Romans. That's going to be from the Roman Christians. What's their, how, what's their take on it, the people from Rome? And then you have letters in there from different people. You have First John, the epistle, a letter from somebody named a different John. And then a second letter from somebody named John. A third letter from another source called John, but they're not sure where it even came from. I'm saying what? Different sources. Quran has one source. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends Jibreel, the angel Gabriel, to Muhammad. That's the connection. There's not another one. There's not a, a second backup prophet here. That for Muhammad Sallallahu to have a day off or take a weekend in the woods and somebody else is going to fill in and do some kind of source here. It doesn't work like that. This is ludicrous. We never accept such a crazy idea. Okay. So, how does it come? And all of you know the story better than me, but I'm mentioning it so we can see what's the source and understand why is the Sunnah. It's that point, isn't it? The Prophet Sallallahu was 40 years old. He used to go away from the people in his tribe and uh, city and get out into the mountains. And he used to fast. And he used to uh, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he would go in this cave. One of the places he would go is a cave called Hirat in the mountain of light or Jabal Nur. And in the month of Ramadan, the fasting month that we've observed these days, in that month, in that cave in that mountain, the Prophet, peace be upon him, was there on a particular night called the Night of Power or Laylatul Qadr. And while he was there and in that cave, in the mountain, worshiping Allah, fasting, all the rest of it, the angel Gabriel came in there to him. The same angel Gabriel who had appeared to Miriam the mother of Jesus, and informed her of the Immaculate Conception that she was going to have a miracle birth. The same angel Gabriel that Allah calls on for many of the important tasks throughout the history of creation. The archangels, we call him in English. He appears to Muhammad ﷺ. Muhammad ﷺ is not asleep. He's not in a dream. He's not in a trance. And this is for the benefit of those who ever read the translation by Marmaduke Pixall where he says he's dreaming or in a trance. That is absolutely nuts. There's nothing that we have recorded in any of the books anywhere that's verified that says such a thing about the Prophet He is awake. Otherwise the whole thing doesn't make any sense, you know. But he is wide awake and he's there and the angel Jibril comes to him embraces him, wraps his arms around him and says to him in the Arabic language 
And he's commanding him to do something, to recite. Now, a lot of people will use the word read here. This gives a new meaning or a different connotation if you use that term for most people. It is not read, not in that sense. Not that he, It's not saying read a book. Because the response from the Prophet, peace be upon him, is La Anabikari. I'm not of those who recite. Okay? This is important to know because at another point you get into a discussion about Quran. If you say that it means just read, as in pick up a book and read, then you'll see why some of these modernists tell us that, well, Islam is all about getting knowledge. Go to a university, get a degree, you become PhD, because Allah told me to learn how to read. And it didn't say that. It's the commandment to the Prophet ﷺ to recite. He said, I'm not of those who recite. The angel then embraces him again, presses him to himself again, and then releases him. And he commands him again, Ikara. And this happens three times. And each time the Prophet is, Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, is saying that, I don't read and write, I don't recite, and basically he doesn't know what he's being told to do. He knows what the word means, but he what do you want from me? I don't, I don't, I'm not a poet or anything like that. Poetry, by the way, was very popular at that time, very, very popular. The, I, don't, I don't want to compare it maybe to modern days, but you know, like these kids all do rap. Everybody's doing rap everywhere you go. And he's basically saying, I don't, I don't do stuff, you know, like that. I'm, some, you need somebody else. <laughs> but then look, look what the angel tells him, and this is the Quran, how it becomes revealed. He says, and the meaning to English might be a plus or minus that assigned to him, recite in the name of your Lord who created, created human beings from a leech-like clot of blood. Recite in your Lord is most generous who taught man by the use of the pen. He taught man what he didn't know. And that was the beginning of the Quran. That's how it comes. We understand that. And this lesson is not about the Quran and the Revelation. It's about Sunnah. But by the way, you cannot mention how the Quran comes without mentioning the Sunnah. And you cannot mention the Sunnah without mentioning the Quran. If you're going to give some kind of real understanding to what you're talking about, these come together. And when Sunnah is recorded, we already said it's called Hadith or records, doesn't it? Isn't that true? And I want to listen to, to one of the things that's said by the Khatib when he's introducing his uh, subject, sometimes uh, the one who speaks in the masjid. When he introduces his sermon, very frequently he'll say, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. And then he'll say, Wa salatu salam, and the peace be upon Prophet Muhammad. And then he might say, فَإِنَا إِسْتَقَلْ هِدِّيْتِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ Have you heard this before? Yeah. It means, for sure, the best hadith are in the book of Allah. The best hadith are in the book of Allah. So Quran has hadith. Or what does it mean? Stories. The best stories or the best uh, records 
are in the Book of Allah. So this is also hadith. And watch and see if that's true. How did Muhammad, peace be upon him, get Quran? It came to him by ear. He heard it. He heard it. He didn't imagine it. He heard it. And he recited what he heard. This is important. Because what he heard, he recited. The angel Gabriel, many times with the prophet over the 23-year period that it came, rehearsing it with him, making sure that he has it right. Even at the very end, the last uh, time the Prophet ﷺ read through the whole Quran for the people was where? In the Ramadan. He read all the way through the whole Quran in the Ramadan. The entire Quran. And so this is how the other people knew the Quran, by listening to him. How would they know it? Dangerous of real is not going to other people and giving it to them. We just said that. So everybody has to learn it from this one point. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he's the point man here, if you will. Excuse me, but he's the only one you can go to to get the Quran. So each and every one of those who memorized it, memorized it from him. Now that's, it's key here to pick that up. Nobody got it any other way. It was through him and him alone. Then they taught it to their companions. The first companions are called the Sahabi, those who are the companions, the Ashab of Muhammad Sallallahu They in turn give it to their companions who we call Tabi for a reason, to make a distinction so you won't get confused. If I said the companions of these people, they're Ashab, then I'd say Sahabi, you'd get confused with what I'm talking about. So we say Sahabi, which is for the companions that knew Muhammad, peace be upon him, they were Muslims. Uh, at the time that he was alive and they um, so and so they're the companions now after them the ones they taught to were called tabi the next ones after that are called tabi tabi'in okay these are the ones which the prophet mentioned in a good hadith that the best are those who are with me which is the sahabi and then those who come after them, which is the tabi, and those who come after them, which is the tabi tabi in. These are the ones best in teaching us our religion, the best in character, etc., etc. So that's why that uh, we understand the importance that one is the center, which is the Prophet Islam. Then from him he teaches Quran to the people around him. They teach it to their people, and they teach it to their people. This Quran was memorized in its totality by so many thousands of people that over the centuries it got passed down and passed down and passed down all over the entire world. Today the Quran is being taught in the original Arabic language just as it was taught at the time of Muhammad, peace be upon him. And now today more than 9 million people have memorized the Quran. And you might say, well, I thought your subject's about Sunnah. Why are you talking about Quran? Well, because, as I said, you can't talk about the Sunnah without the Qur'an, and you can't talk about the Qur'an without talking about the Sunnah. Really. Because when you're explaining Qur'an, people need to know how did it come, and how do we have it today. We want to focus on this. The records that we have in Hadith come two ways. They come by word of mouth, to the ear, and in writing. Qur'an comes by recitation only only Quran is not what's written down on a piece of paper 
Why? Well, because when it gets written down on a piece of paper, Quran becomes like a dollar bill. That dollar bill represents wealth somewhere else, but it's not the wealth itself. Because otherwise, a dollar bill that says one on it, how could it be any different than the one that says 100 on it? It's the same thing. Same piece of paper, same kind of ink. What's written on it represents something that's stored somewhere else. Isn't that true? And likewise, the Quran, when it's written down, represents the Quran, which is somewhere else. Actually, where is it? It's with Allah. And it is protected by Allah. And none can touch it except the pure. And that's what the meaning, by the way, of the ayah. So many people talk about you can't touch the Quran unless you're pure. This is misunderstanding of a verse, which is very clear. That this is the angels of the malayika of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. None can touch it except the them because it's not here in this dunya, it's not on the earth. The Quran that's here that we have is in the hearts, the mind of those who memorize it. When it's down in a book or written down, it's actually called mushaf or scripture. So we understand it that way. Okay? Now we're back to the subject of the Sunnah. And when we say just the Sunnah, this is an amazing thing because it's like saying, well, that's just the Quran. Well, that's just my religion. That's just my life. So I don't understand why people would say it like that unless they were ignorant and didn't realize the ramifications of what they're talking about. We're going to take a break at this point and come right back after something important and then you'll be listening to us again in the continuation of Just the Sunnah here on Islam Tomorrow. That's islamtomorrow.net. You can visit there for this and other rebroadcasts by going to islamtomorrow.net.